Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Upside Swing Draft Podcast, the podcast with the highest ceiling. This is the final episode we are putting out before the 2021 NBA Draft. Um, we are going to be live for the 2021 NBA Draft, so uh, stay tuned for that. Um, but in terms of pre-draft content, this is the last you're going to get. Uh, and we put out plenty of it. We have absolutely murdered your feeds with uh, constant pods. Uh, we hope you don't hate us for that. Um, it has been a marathon of a season. Uh, our first full season as a pod or our first uh, draft season as a podcast. Uh, my first draft season in the Twitter space in general. Lots of writing, lots of podcasts. And, and there's no better way to culminate it than a simple board breakdown with Stone and I. Uh, Stone, my friend, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, it has definitely been a trek, a journey, a marathon, however you want to um, say it but it's been uh it's been a blast the whole time so um you know i'm really excited for the draft um as we approach it only a few days away now so um you know i'm really looking forward to it it's going to be madness heading up to it with all the reports and stuff um but i think this is a good way to to end it out for our pre-draft process um and like you said we will be doing some live stuff Throughout the draft, um, if you want to follow us to get more details on that, you can follow the uh, the podcast at Upside Swings on Twitter, and what we'll tweet out sort of our, our plans for that as we move forward. Yeah, we we don't know exactly what's going to be going on there, but uh, whatever it is, we can promise it's going to be fun. Um, but yeah, we're just this has been. I would have a hard time saying this hasn't been uh, a really reaffirming process for just like how much I love basketball because I've put in like all this work with the podcasting and the writing. And like, I haven't stopped having fun and I, it's not like I'm getting paid, you know, it's just, this is all for just sort of the love of the game to meet the great people I have like stone and all the guests we've had on uh, our good friend, Ryan Davis as well. Another podcast co-host. Uh, it's been a great experience. Um, I'll get a little schmaltzy here at the very end, but before we do that, we have some work to do. Um, so we're going to break down the, our big boards. Uh, we're just going to go tier by tier, reading off names and sort of reacting to some interesting uh, standouts here and there. Um, this is an interesting draft here. Uh, you know, I, there's some clear names at the top. And then after that, it's just sort of goop. Uh, and there's going to be a lot of differences between Stone and I. Uh, I think what part of what makes us great podcast partners is that we have such different philosophies about the draft and how we rank players and how we evaluate players and that's going to reflect in some rankings we're going to have guys very very far apart um but i'm just excited to get this going uh we're going to start with tier one and uh i'm guessing it's going to be one guy for both of us but stone i will throw it to you first uh give us your tier one uh kate Cunningham. yeah uh, <laughs> that's it. yeah it's uh i think pretty self-explanatory i think for a lot of people it's um maybe not so cut and dry I think some people have Jalen Green, some people have Jalen Green and Devin Mobley. Um, sort of that three, there's different sort of, I guess, areas where you chop it off and, and tier them different differently. Um, but I think um, for the other maybe like 50% of, of people, it's Cade Cunningham alone by himself. Yeah, and there's a reason for that. Cade uh, is a special, special basketball prospect. Um, my tier one is Cade Cunningham as well, uh, bar none. And, and I really haven't even considered anyone else since, uh, you know, I, I don't even know when. Um, maybe like back 
before his senior season of high school. Like I had someone else one, but uh, from the time, I mean, Kate Cunningham, he really burst onto the scene. Uh, I believe that was USA U18. It might've been U19 uh, and just looked like the best player on the floor playing with guys like Tyrese Halliburton and Reggie Perry, who of course, Tyrese Halliburton looks like a great NBA player already. And to be Kate Cunningham was already the best player on the floor. So uh, he's been that guy for a while. Um, he, he, with his shooting, so, so the way I do my tiers, I should probably say this, is they are static from year to year. So last year I had both tier one and tier two empty. Um, he came into this year tier two. Uh, but with his dramatic shooting improvement, he, he moved all the way up into my tier one, which I label like generational. And that one is meant to be empty most years. It's only supposed to have a player in it if I really think they're special. And when Cade proved that he could be an elite shooter, to go along with being six, eight and, and an excellent passer and decision maker. Uh, to me, that was enough to move him up to that top tier. Um, but that, that's how I feel. Uh, Stone, if you have anything to add, go ahead. And if not, uh, give us your tier two or in your case, tier 1.5. Yeah. Um, I think I, I agree. Uh, I, I should point out to the way I do my tiers is I generally, um, you know, some people do their tiers where it's like, I, what they perceive their roles to be, I guess. Um, like people see like, oh, this guy is probably going to be, their, their median outcome is as a role player. And that's sort of how they tier them. The way I do it is I factor in, I guess, like their their median low end and high end outcome. Um, and then I sort of factor in the probability of them reaching those outcomes. So it's it's it fluctuates a bit. It's different. I don't necessarily have a guy who's, a role player or sometimes they can have a guy who's a role player um at his higher end outcome and in the same tier as a guy who's like a could be a superstar at his high end outcome so it's it's not necessarily um you know differentiated that way for me um but that is the way i do it in terms of factoring in multiple outcomes and the probability of them reaching that um that said uh also the other thing i would point out with Cade in in being in the generational sort of tier is there's there's almost tiers within that tier. Like I think um, Luka Doncic or even Victor Wembanyama, as we go a couple of years uh, into the future are probably like alone in like the ultimate generational tier. Like I'm not quite sure Cade and, and Luka um, are, are still in the same like sphere of, of tiers and as pre-draft guys, maybe they are for you. Um, but for me personally, like I think, there's even a difference within that generational tier. Um, that being said, my tier um, below Cade is one guy. Uh, I, I put him as tier 1.5, and this is the first time I've ever had like a quote-unquote half tier, and that's because I think in most drafts, I would take Evan Mobley number one. It's just that Cade is that good that I would, I would have him above uh, Mobley. Um, Mobley, though, is the clear number two for me. Like, you can't – it can't be much more clear for me. I know some people will say Jalen Green, and that's entirely fine. Um, some of the arguments people have for that, you know, is a little ridiculous. But um, if you believe that Jalen Green is the better player, absolutely, like, go with what you, you believe in your evaluation. But for me, it's Evan Mobley. Um, he just – he's too influential in too many different areas on the basketball court um, to not have him here. He's – really special defensive prospect. Um, I was lucky enough to watch him a lot because he played not far from here uh, in, in California. Um, 
so he's you know somebody i've had kate in in mobley one and two i think since 2018 so um i've had them you know pretty much in the same going forward in the same spots so not, nothing's changing for me here yeah uh my tier two is evan mobley and, and i just can't help but ditto just everything stone said uh just just a really special two-way prospect um I'm someone who's generally just lower on bigs in general. We even get to that when we get to like the end of my board, how I separate my, my undrafted tiers. Um, but like, yeah, to me, it's, it's clearly Evan Mobley um, and I don't have a ton to add. Uh, so I'm just going to move on to my tier three. Um, my tier three is where I had the top four players in last year's draft. For me, those were Lamella Ball, Alexei Pukasevsky, RJ Hampton, Devin Vassell. Um, and this year it's two players and that's Jalen green and Kai Jones. Um, I know one of those guys isn't super popular there, but, uh, that's how I'm feeling. Um, stone, uh, your tier three. Yeah. Um, I actually recently sort of, <laughs> this is might uh, be shocking to you, but I dropped Kai Jones out of my tier three. I just viewed Jalen green as a, a clear, better prospect to me. Um, and I have Jalen Suggs uh, actually in as the fourth guy. So number three and number four are alone in tier three for me, um, that being Green and Suggs. And like I said, I, I don't necessarily separate them by role because I think Green, like his higher end outcome is just um, in the different stratosphere than, than Jalen Suggs. Um, that being said, the median outcome of, of Jalen Suggs, I think is uh, possibly more impactful to winning. He just does a lot. Uh, in terms of getting you there, I think. Um, so that's sort of the reasoning behind why they're in the same tier. Um, and the probability of, of Suggs, I think, reaching his median outcome uh, is maybe just as likely as Jam Green reaching his. Uh, so I, I don't have them uh, in separate tiers. I have them together uh, and alone by themselves in tier three. Yeah, uh, we'll we'll wait a little bit to, to have any Jalen Green discussion or Jalen Suggs discussion, excuse me, because he, he'll be in my next tier. Um, but Jalen Green, we should note that us being a high on Evan Mobley does not take anything away from Jalen Green. Um, I, I've made the argument that Jalen Green, uh, he's a he's the type of archetype I generally don't value, but he might be the best ever, or at least the best prospect in the past decade or so of that specific archetype, the hyper-athletic scoring two guard. We had Anthony Edwards last year. I would comfortably have Jalen Green ahead of Anthony Edwards. Um, you know, guys like Zach Levine in the past, guys like that, like Jalen Green, it, 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 in my memory, you know, not, not count, accounting for guys like Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan from way back yonder, in the past decade or so of, of quote-unquote modern basketball, I would say Jalen Green might be the best prospect of that archetype. Um, and then Kai Jones, the other guy in that tier, is to me uh, probably the best athlete, like physical athletic talent I've scouted since Zion. Um, I just think he, the way he moves at his size is so special um, that, that I can't help but have him up here when combined with the skill flashes. So I understand why some are lower. They, they see sort of the low feel and, and, and they have to move him down. But to me, I'm comfortable with having those two in this tier. Um, Stone, any thoughts on that? And if not, you can move on to, to tier four. Uh, nope, I can see the rationale and, and support it completely. Uh, so my tier three is sort of where it opens up a bit um, in terms of no longer one or two guys. 
um or sorry excuse me my tier yeah my tier three because two three for you yeah because you have 1.5 yeah sex and green are technically tier two um yeah so i'm gonna go with so i have kai jones at five jared butler at six moses moody at seven Shreve Cooper at eight, Trey Mann at nine, JT Thor at 10, Usman Gruba at 11, Scotty Barnes at 12, Josh Kitty at 13, Jalen Johnson at 14, and Jaden Spring at 15. And those are my tier three guys. You know, it is fascinating how much we agree on things and how different this part of our board is. Um, like just, so, so the one that stands out to me is Jared Butler at six. Um, I know your love for him. Like, I, I just know, like, you love Jared Butler. I would say probably more than anyone else in this class in terms of, like, your guys. Um, but this seems very, very high. So I just, I kind of want to get your rationale for him uh, at six. Yeah, I, I think this is the highest anybody has him. So I'm fully aware that this is not a, a majority opinion. I know some other people have him top 10 even, uh, but top six, I, I feel like is rich for a lot of people so i get why people are a bit skeptical of that ranking um the reason i have him top six is he like he just does everything well there's nothing you can really look at jared brother and say he's bad at this he needs to really improve upon this in order to succeed there's really nothing within his game that you can point to and say that um and i think that in itself has value and i don't think that people would necessarily say you know just because he's good at every guy because you're right it doesn't if you're just saying you're good at everything even like a miles mcbride you can make that case where he's he's good in so many different areas um and but i don't have top 10 so i get i get what they the difference being i think jared butler is actually has a lot higher of a ceiling than people may perceive and i think people perceive his ceiling as limited just because he is such a high floor guy is somebody you feel really comfortable betting on as being a productive tenure vet or whatever the case may be. But I think he's got more upside than people realize because he's a really good shooter. The <clears throat> first off, I think he's like, he, he's one of the, he's 98th percentile in, in uh, pull-ups, 96th percentile on spot-ups, 74th percentile on coming off screens. Like he, he's underrated as a shooter. One of the better shooting guards in this class, I would argue. Um, the passing and handling he's probably got the best handles uh for me personally of anybody in this class i know some may disagree um but at least like this combo guard mix there's so many of these sort of combo guards in this class um and i think he stands out as the sort of a head and shoulders above anybody else in terms of the handling ability uh outside of maybe train man who i know you're high on um but he, he can create for himself in isolation, which I think gets sort of overlooked a bit. Um, he's someone you can throw the ball to and be like, hey, you know, get a score for us a bit. Like we, we're desperate. We need some somebody to create for themselves. I think he can provide that. So there's just many areas I think he can sort of impact the game, capable of playing on or off ball. Um, and I think people sort of put him in this box of, being a high floor guy and say, okay, he's a high floor guy, but because of that, his ceiling just isn't as high as I may think. Um, but I'm not sure that's the, really the case with him. So that's probably why um, I have him top six as opposed to other people who are, are still high on him and have him like lottery, um, but I have him that much higher because I think his ceiling is higher than, than most people. 
Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I, I like Butler a little bit. Um, and, and there's some guys who who aren't in your this area of your big board that are on mine. So we can touch on that when I get there. But the last guy I want to ask you about was Sharif Cooper at eight. Uh, do you see that almost purely as an upside play? Or what what is it you see in Sharif Cooper that makes you feel like this is a top 10 guy, confident top 10? Yeah, so... Um, I, and there's people even, I would say, that are higher on Shreve Cooper than I am. Like we've seen, I think you mentioned it on our last podcast, like people have had him as high as like five or four on their boards, um, which isn't crazy to me uh, because I get it. And be, and that being, he's like, we, we've touched on it before as being like a generational type passer. Like you can't understand how good of a passer he is, despite his size, like he, he's still really, really good. At shifting defenses and finding players making every pass in the book and on and on we could go um the other thing is i think i've bought into his shooting more as we've gone along um not only has he sort of made some tweaks to it um since we've we've last talked about him uh where you know he had the very dramatic um arcing of the back and uh weird foot placement and sort of pushed his shot <laughs> and so many other things that that made the shot so ugly and and produced bad numbers. Um, not only has he tweaked some of that already, but he I, I just really buy the indicators with him, like high free throw percentage, really good touch on floaters. All the indicators are there for him to succeed. So I think I'm betting on that a lot more than I was beforehand. And that's sort of the reasoning behind the, the top 10 placement there. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. Um I'll I'll dive into my section of this big board, which funnily enough takes us to the same number 15 uh but but there are some very stark differences uh so for me it starts at five with jonathan kaminga uh six trey man seven josh giddy eight moses moody nine Jaden springer 10 jaylen suggs 11 zaire williams 12 trey murphy the third 13 cam thomas 14 bronze wagner and 15 kessler edwards Go ahead. Did you want to pick up? Okay. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So I think we agree on Trey Man. I know people are going to say, <clears throat> excuse me, that that's high at six. Um, I have him at nine. So the difference isn't too stark there for me. Uh, the one, the one that really stands out to me, I guess, would be Jonathan Kaminga. And we'll get to where I have him, which obviously is sort of on the other end of the spectrum. What what is it about Kaminga where you feel comfortable taking him as a top five pick? Because for me, I just I really struggle to see what it is you can bet on with him. I think Kaminga is is very context dependent, um, but I still think he's a he's a very impressive physical talent. Um, I, I I I like the flashes of ball handling, the flashes of improving feel of shot making like he has a lot of flashes and, and those flashes are a lot less impressive than someone like Kai Jones. But I think if he's in the right context where he's playing off of a, of a good playmaker uh, and he gets to kind of focus as a scorer, I think he can be a starting level player in the league in, in a lot of his outcomes because it, you know, he's big enough. I think you can throw him on a lot of good, uh, good offensive wings, um, I think the passing is developing enough that he'll be able to be a good ball mover. Uh, I, I buy him as a driver, as a finisher uh, in transition, especially, I think he's a very good transition player. Um, a lot hinges on that shot, but I think that's a lot of guys in this range. Um, 
and, and I still do buy that there's a there's a high ceiling there. Um, he's definitely a very stark ceiling to floor uh, bet, but he plays the most position important position in basketball. Um, and I still think that there are a lot of tools for him to build on. I understand like this is an unpopular ranking in terms of like draft Twitter at this point. And, and honestly, like he's the guy who like, I could put him at 15 and be just as comfortable, right? Like, like this tier is very, very close. There are other tiers on my board where it's like, I'm more comfortable like with these four here and then the six in the back or whatever it may be. This tier is, is very close. Like Kester Edwards, I'd keep towards the bottom of this tier. But after that, I would shift it around for team need pretty much no matter what. I mean, you could make an argument for me coming all the way down at 14 on this board. And I'd say, yeah, that's fine. Um, so like, I don't want that number five to be misleading about how high I am on him. These are guys, this tier is generally like, I think they have good like median outcomes as, as starters. And, and some of them have, have lower, lower ceilings, higher ceilings, whatever it may be. But like, these are guys who I, who I could see fitting into good teams um, and playing important minutes. That's basically what I'm going for here. Uh, and, and Kaminga, I think in the right context can really do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think we're in agreement in terms of sort of how we tiered it in terms of like Kaminga and Edwards, their highest end outcomes. I think like Kaminga is nowhere near Edwards. Uh, <laughs> maybe I said that wrong. Edwards is nowhere near Kaminga in terms of, you know, their, their highest end outcomes. Um, so the fact that they're in the same tier, I think sort of speaks to how both of this view tiering and in, in sort of the rationale behind how we do it. Um, the other person that really sticks out to me, um, since we last talked, I think we were more in agreement with where we had him. Um, and he seems to have really shot up your board would be Cam Thomas. Um, I know there's people even higher than where you have him at 13. Um, we'll get to where I have them, but it seems like you, since we last talked about him, really shot up with him. So what have you seen in the past couple of months that has has risen him up so high? I think I started trying to overlook my biases a little bit. Like I'm I'm very against players like him in most circumstances, but I think he could be a very good version of what he is, like a very, very good version. Um, he could be like, he is a case for best shooter in this class, in my opinion. Um, the numbers don't really back that up, but if you consider the the types of shots he was taking, um, he, he has elite like balance and self-organization as a shooter it makes me think he could potentially be a movement shooter if he buys into that role um he he gets to the line a lot he he's a good mid-range scorer has a lot has a lot of range like i just think we kind of get this narrow view like he can only be an on-ball scorer and i think there is more available to him as a potentially gravity creating shooter um and for me i'm not one who likes to live in the world of like if he buys in, if he buys in, because for the most part, these guys, like if you, if they spend five, 10, 15 minutes with an assistant coach and they're like, listen, you do this or you don't play. Most of them are going to do it. And if they won't, then I guess that's someone who I'm fine missing out on because I don't have this Intel. Right. But like, I think Cam Thomas, if he's, if he's put in a role where he can exist more off ball, he can be a good starter. And then if you need him to, he could he could buoy a bench lineup with his scoring like that sort of combination of gravity creating off ball player with a pretty solid on ball score. I think there's some sneaky upside there. Um, he has a low floor and and I'll give you that. But I also think like 
we're getting into a point where with almost all these guys I have ranked, like they all sort of have a low floor in one way or another. Um, because past like the top three in like any given draft, like a lot of these guys just won't make it. Like even Trey Mann or Josh Giddy, two guys I'm very high on, like could very easily not be NBA players, like a real like contributing NBA players. And that's fine if that's what it, if that's how it turns out. That's just how the draft goes. Um, but I, I like Cam Thomas quite a bit as a potentially versatile scorer. Um, if he if he is put in a role where he gets to exist off ball a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, I get the arguments for Cam Thomas. Like nobody, I think, in this class can really score like he can in terms of the degree of shot difficulty that he, he makes his shots. Um, and in a sense, that's almost sort of worried me because he doesn't create a ton of space as a smaller guard, shooting guard, like, and, you know, he, he obviously showed that he can make these shots, these really difficult shots without much space, but all the more reason in the NBA will that space, whatever little space he had in college, will that be taken away at an NBA level? That's sort of why I think I'm, I'm also a bit lower on him and, and we can get to him a bit more in depth um, when we get to my, my next year or next next year of the tier after I forget um but uh yeah he's he's somebody that you know it, it makes sense why people have him so high and I think the people that use the whole like if he buys in thing I'm in agreement with you like I, I'm willing to bet that all these guys are, are gonna buy in um until I'm proven otherwise there are obviously cases where people don't but unless I have that intel or something I'm not gonna bet against it and people that use that argument um, to justify maybe like why they would be, why they would miss out on Cam Thomas. Like, like for example, I have him much lower than you. And if I use the argument that, oh, you know, if he bought in, I, I could definitely be wrong here. I think like for me, it's, I'm, I'm willing to say, you know, I messed up. I should have had Cam Thomas way higher. And it's not because I didn't see him buying in. I just don't think he's a good defender. Um, and people that use that, it's sort of a weak argument, in my opinion, to, to justify why you missed out on a guy. Um, that being said, I uh, I think that's pretty much it in this. Oh, the, the other guy, um, we'll obviously, we'll touch on quickly here because I think we've, we've talked about a lot about him in the past would be Jalen Suggs. I think a lot of people probably disagree with the number 10 ranking and have him higher. Um, so just in a brief nutshell, do you want to explain why it is you have him at, at number 10. I really worry that Jalen Suggs is never going to be good at the most important thing a guard can do, and that's running a pick and roll. Um, like, like his big selling points are like transition passing and defense. And for me, like with a guard, that's not like what I want, like really high. Uh, I'll be honest, there's times I've considered him even lower than this. And he's one of those guys who I would also consider putting as low as like 14. Um, but like, I, I don't deny the skill set he has, um, but I, I don't know. I don't see a lot of room for ceiling there because I don't think he's quite the athlete you have to be to get away with having the poor handle he does. Um, he has to really have some outlier development as a shooter. And I also like, I don't value guard defense a ton, especially when it's inversatile. He has short arms. He's only six, four. I don't know if he's going to be able to guard up a lineup a ton. Uh, I think we're sort of betting on a lot of outlier developments and, and we'll get into this with Scotty Barnes later because we like the guy so much. We're betting on them having a lot of extra outlier developments that I'm not comfortable betting on a player having. So that's sort of my little spiel. Fair enough. 
fair enough. All right, so I'll um, I guess I'll take it to my tier four here. Um, at number sixteen, I have Miles McBride. At number seventeen, I have Zaya Williams. At number eighteen, I have Franz Wagner. At number nineteen, I have James Booknight. At number twenty, I have Kester Edwards. At number twenty-one, I have Davion Mitchell. Twenty-two, I have Jeremiah Robinson Earl. And twenty-three, I have Jonathan Kaminga. All right. So you asked me to give the Kaminga so high speech. So the first thing I want to do is ask you to give like Kaminga twenty-three. Like, what's what's your reasoning? And, and you don't. Want, you can be kind of brief because there's some other guys I'm definitely going to ask you about in this tier. So just I I want to hear why he's so low. Um, okay, so I try and learn as much as I can from each of my, I guess, past mistakes in draft cycles. Uh, last year was Isaiah Stewart. I had him in the 70s. He clearly outplayed that. So I try and see what is it that I missed with him and that I can apply to future draft cycles. With Jonathan Kaminga, and I'm not necessarily comparing them as players or prospects even, but with um, Kevin Knox a couple of years ago, I put a lot of faith into him becoming a good player, a good basketball player. He, he had all the physical tools. Everything looked aesthetically pleasing. Everything about him just screamed to me that this guy is, he, you know, he's a, he's a star in the making. And clearly that's just flat out like imploded, right? He, he's not anywhere near that. I'm not saying Jonathan Kaminga will be Kevin Knox because um, development isn't linear. They're not the same players. So, but what I took away from that was that not just because a player has all the the tools and everything you know about him um, looks like an NBA player in plain sight doesn't necessarily mean he will be that. Uh, and I think that's the case for me with Jonathan Kaminga here, is that. He's he's got all the tools. He looks like an NBA player. He's got the NBA body. Like he's got all these sort of different facets that he he has flashes in. But how many of them are real? How many of them am I willing to bet on him developing on? Like at this point, I think it's fair to say that he has nothing outside of his body and tools that you can say definitively he will be good at this in the NBA. <clears throat> and I think yeah. that's my main concern with him because. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that that's the best. Uh, that's the best explanation for uh, coming to this low that I've heard. Um, it, it's low key convincing me. Uh, but no, uh, like <laughs> I, I'm with you. Like there is nothing he has that's completely bankable, and I think that's absolutely fair. I was wrong on Kevin Knox too, and maybe I should learn. Um, but I, I absolutely get what you're saying, and, and I'm with you in a lot of ways. I just I think I buy a little bit more. Like I think he's already a, like not to bring back Kevin Knox as a comparison, but like I think he is a slightly better athlete than he was and he's a better passer and the shot, take it or leave it. But like, I get what you're saying. I think at the very least, like we disagree, but I absolutely get what you're saying. Um, another guy I wanted to bring up here is uh, you have Franz Wagner at 18. Um, I feel like you could use a lot of the arguments you used for Jared Butler on Franz Wagner but Franz Wagner is also 6'9". So I guess that a part of me is seeing that disconnect and wondering what makes you higher, like that much higher on Butler that you don't have Franz in the same tier. Yeah, um, that's fair too. <clears throat> and I think 
part of it for me with Franz is I actually had him quite a bit higher early on in the draft cycle. It's just that I think I've I've risen on more people that and it's made Franz fall a bit. Like not necessarily that I'm low on Franz. It's just that I like so many other guys more than Franz, um, and I still like Franz quite a bit. So I'll, I'll give my explanation on that disconnect. Um, I would say that the big thing for me, I guess, would be creating their own shots. I think Jared Butler is a better creator for himself because of that handle. I think with Franz, he's going to be more dependent upon people creating for him as opposed to Jared Butler. And I think I value self-creation quite a bit. Um, that That's probably the biggest separator there. And it's not that Franz can't create for himself because I think he can in certain contexts. I just think that Jared Butler is much better at it than, than Franz. Um, defensively, I think Franz, I would even pin Franz, I've said it in the past, that he's the best perimeter defender in this class. Um, I'm not sure I necessarily see it ever translating to bigger guys because I think um, he could get overpowered um, <clears throat> by by some bigger guys. But in terms of utilization of his length and IQ on, you know, how to, how to best um, maximize his length, he's phenomenal at it. And I think that's what makes him such a good perimeter defender. Um, even as a secondary creator, like I think I still buy Jared Butler more than Franz as a, as a secondary creator for others. Um, and the shooting, I guess, is also a differentiator. Again, I've said it in the past, though, I, I, so I can't really harp on it too much because the difference between good and great shooters just isn't that much of a gap for me. Um, and I think Franz will be a good enough shooter, so I don't really value the difference in shooting. Although I think Butler will be a really good shooter, I don't really value the gap between them as being very much. So um, I, I would say just creation probably is, is the biggest uh, separator there for me. I think that's fair. I think what I'm noticing about us is that I feel like you value like creation upside a lot more than I do necessarily. And I value a lot more like, like just in general, like wings. Like I think there's an inherent, we didn't talk about this with Moody, but like there's an inherent upside that comes with simply being a wing in the NBA. Um, you, you get more chances to play NBA minutes and to experiment with the ball because they simply need more guys that size. Um, and that's what I'm sort of noticing early on is, is sort of the difference in you're taking a bet on Jared Butler, who who I like a lot, um, but I'm lower on because he's he's simply a guard. And I think that I would rather take a wing and see if he can sort of develop those skills. Um, and that's fine. I Again, neither of us are right or wrong. And I feel like you can build championship rosters with whichever type of mindset you have but i think that's where some of our differences are going to come um i'm trying to i don't there's no one else i really want to hit on i mean we could hit on zaire williams but i i think it'd sort of be the same song and dance as kaminga a little bit right where it's like he has a more bankable skill than kaminga but there's also a, a lot less physical talent there am i kind of on the right path yeah um and i think the, the difference in boards to it just isn't quite as the variance isn't quite as high. Like I think you had him 11 and I have him 17. So it's a six spot difference. I guess it's a little bit significant, but I think um, the way we view him quite, isn't quite on, on opposite ends of the spectrum as much as it is. Yeah. I, I think, I think that's uh, that's a fair analysis there. Um, so with that said, uh, I'll dive into my, this is tier five for me. 
And this is where, like Stone mentioned, it starts to open up for him. It really opens up for me. My tier five almost combines his tier fours and five in terms of number of people. Mine starts at 16 and goes to 33. Um, so I'm going to go Usman Garuba, Josh Christopher, Scotty Barnes, JT Thor, Nashawn Bones Highland, Jared Butler, James Booknight, Miles McBride, uh, Miles Deuce McBride, I should say, uh, Sharif Cooper, Corey Kispert, Davion Mitchell, Jalen Johnson, Josh Primo, Keon Johnson, Chris Duarte, Isaiah Jackson, Matt Mitchell, and David Johnson. Yeah. Um, so let's see. The the biggest separators here. Uh, well, well, Jalen Johnson, I'll touch on. I, I think I know where you're going to go with why you're lower on him. Uh, but just for the people out there, I think a lot of people view his upside as a worthwhile gamble much higher than this. Uh, so explain why that isn't necessarily. The- um, so I think what makes me a little lower on Jalen Johnson is I, I don't buy that upside as much. And I also think he is like, has like one of the lowest floors that's talked about in the first round in this whole draft. Um, he is like currently not good at really anything basketball related. Um, he like has, he has interesting flashes as a passer, but I wouldn't even call him a good passer yet because he's a pretty rough decision maker. Um, I, I don't buy the shot being there. Uh, I, I think it needs some work. Um, I actually don't even think he's a great athlete. He's a very good athlete on the move, but he, he doesn't have a lot of short area quickness and burst. And those are the type of athleticism they matter more to me. I'm, I'm hoping by the time people are watching this, they'll have read my, um, uh, my, my functional athleticism piece that I'm almost done with as we record this. Uh, I, I think Jalen Johnson has a lot of holes in this game. I can't have him outside of the first round in, in good conscience because that passing, that open air, area athleticism is intriguing enough that, and, and again, just the body, he's like a 6'9", like, forward wing center type player like there's something there it's just I don't think the ceiling is as high as some people say because I don't think he can ever he's athletic enough to be an offensive hub and defensively like there is some upside there but right now he is currently like an awful defender he he makes bad routes to the ball he doesn't move well and like like against shiftier players it's just Honestly, the more I talk about it, the more I honestly want to be even lower on him. I can't with with the the potential upside there, but I I I really don't see like the lottery talent with Jalen Johnson that some do. Yeah, um, and I assume that a lot of that is applicable to why you have Scotty Burns to eighteen as well. Um, you could correct me if I'm wrong if I'm wrong, but I think that a lot of the same arguments are sort of um the, what you would use for scotty barnes at that ranking a little bit scotty barnes is almost more similar like jalen suggs in that like i think we look through them with a little bit of like we want to see them be the best they can be because they're like very outward players on the court who are very loud and like scotty barnes is like 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 i really don't know if he'll be able to exist offensively um in the nba i i really worry he is a good passer but he's not yet a good screener, so it's hard to get him going on the short roll. Um, he isn't a good shooter. I don't think he'll ever be a good shooter. He isn't a good finisher. I think that's going to take some work. And he's a bad athlete. Like, he, like that's something that's really tough for me to bet on is, like, when your athleticism is that 
deficient. Um, I, I think that hurts him a lot defensively. Like, I think we overrate him a little bit as sort of a help defender. Because in the NBA, even when he gets in the right spot, I think he's not going to be able to really contest shots around the rim super well. I don't see him as a rim protector at all. So it means you almost have to play him as like a wing forward, wing stopper. And I think he can be good at that. But determining what the value of that is when I don't buy the half-court offense is really hard. Um, so so that's sort of where I'm at with Scotty Barnes. Yeah, yeah. Um, those were all fair arguments. The, the final guy I'll, I'll sort of pick out here would be Josh Christopher at 17. And I know this is probably where most people would have him in this sort of range. Uh, I just happen to be a bit lower on him. So explain for the, uh, explain to me why you think he, he's worthy of a top 17 sort of pick. Josh Christopher is, 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 is a really interesting player to me. Um, and I think he's, what I like about him is his potential role versatility. Um, he is a really good on ball defender with some really interesting off ball flashes as like a help side rim protector, despite being only six, five, also playing passing lanes. I think he can probably confidently, like I'm confident saying that he could probably guard one through four, like most fours in the NBA. Um, it's just sort of about figuring out what he is offensively. I think he's going to be a good shooter. So that's sort of enough. And he's a good enough athlete that he'll be able to attack a closeout. He's a really bad passer right now. Um, and that's sort of my issue with like James Booknight too, is they're both really bad passers. Just the difference is I think Josh Christopher is a much better defender. Um, and, and, and I just think Christopher gets a little underrated because we pigeonhole him into this bucket getter type archetype when I actually think he's much more of like, a three and D wing who can also has some upside for potentially as like a second side creator or a last second scorer. Like there's just a lot of skills to like with Josh Christopher and he hasn't quite put it all together, but around this area, like if you have those skills, I, I like to bet on players like that to really develop. Um, I think he could be a, a really interesting wing at the next level. Yeah. Um, that's fair. I'm, We'll get into why I'm lower on him. I think we can have a little bit of disagreement there. Uh, that being said, should I go ahead and move on to my fifth tier? Yep. Alrighty. So at 24, I have Keon Johnson. At 25, I have Josh Primo. At 26, I have Trey Murphy the third. At 27, I have Corey Kispert. At 28, I have Rent Blindberg. At 29, I have Nashawn Bones Highland. At 30, I have Jason Preston. At 31, I have Cam Thomas. At 32, I have Ayo Desunmu. At 33, I have Rokas Yokubetis. At 34, I have Chris Dorte. At 35, I have Josh Christopher. At 36, I have Isaiah Jackson. And at 37, I have Dacian Nix. And this these is are all guys I would, I would put a first-round grade on. These are all guys. I think there's 37 players in this class that I would consider um, with, my, with a first-round pick. That's interesting. So that was, I should note that as well. Uh, my That 33 I had, those were the only guys I would say are first round talents down to David Johnson was my last first round grade. Um, our two biggest like pure numerical disconnects might be Iota Sunmu and Daisha Nix. Um, so I want to hear it first with Nix because he is someone who I, I haven't seen it with at all. Um, I have him undrafted. So I, I really want to hear the Dacian Knicks take. Yeah, um, and actually, when we first talked about him, we, I would think I was much higher on him than I am now. 
so I see I've bought into some of the arguments against him um, just being, you know, not a great defender at this point. And honestly, the, the shooting, um, it's it's grim. It's grim for me. Um, but the reasons I have him at 37, um, and that's probably a bad way to start off as trying to make my case for him. Um, but the reason I have him at 37 is that he's a really high IQ guy, um, first off. So that's, I mean, if you've listened to this podcast, that's something I value a lot. I'm willing to bet on guys who who really know what they're doing on the basketball court and having it translate into other areas. Um, I think he's able to see a lot of things um, and the creation ability seems to have improved a bit with the body transformation. It's something I think as he gets more and more used to um, having a bit of a more fluid and and movable body that it's going to help him a bit. Defensively, again, I'm willing to bet on him knowing how to use that big frame to be able to um, get into some uh, point of attack sort of uh, stuff, get into guys' grills of it. Um, And then uh, I think as like a table setter, you're not going to find many guys past 37 who can do what he does in terms of creating for others. Um, There's just not a lot of guys, I think, in this class that sort of do that, let alone somebody who can be available in the second round. So um, that's sort of my rationale behind that. And maybe that vaults him up a little bit for me because of the, the IQ and creation ability. Um, but that that's sort of the reasoning behind it. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I think what it is for me with Knicks is that, so I have a very simple way that I, that I sort of mass evaluate guards. And that's like, I almost don't want to draft you if I don't buy the shot you're not an elite athlete or like, like there's like four big things I can build a guard on. Right. And three of them are way more important than the other. It's like defense, uh, shooting, passing and athleticism. If you have like two of those, I can start to really value you. And then three, I think you're a legitimate, almost first round talent. Nick's only has one to me. I don't buy him as an athlete really much at all. Like he had some okay moments in high school as like, like an open court athlete, but I think he has the same, Issues with short area quickness is like a Jalen Johnson. Um, I don't buy the shot really at all. That's going to take a lot of work. Uh, you're, you're just sort of betting on him being so smart that it works out. It's sort of the Ricky Rubio thing. I think there's going to be there's going to be a lot more. Like I, Ricky Rubio is almost the high point for that archetype, and it's there's a lot of people who aren't going to be able to reach that. I think, and and I understand your ranking of him. It's just not something I can quite get to. Uh, I'm guessing that's sort of a sim. You have a similar art, like argument for, for Jason Preston as a first round guy. For Jason Preston. Yeah. I think um, I actually, I think he's better on defense just because of his frame. Like he's more hideable. If he's going to be bad on defense, you can hide him more than you can hide a bad Dacian Knicks on defense uh, just because of his bigger frame. Um, I actually buy Jason Preston a bit more um, as a shooter too. Like that helps a lot. Um, if Dacian Nix, again, the gap between good and great shooters aren't big for me, but, but the gap between bad yeah. and good shooters is huge. For me. And I think Jason Preston can be a good enough shooter to be serviceable um, in that department. So that's that's the reason I have Jason Preston ahead of Nix um, and, and the arguments I'd make for taking him first. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I would assume I think we'll wait a little bit to get into because I think you're closer to consensus than me. 
Um, so some other names I, I'm sort of interested in. Um, we both are lower on Keon Johnson, and we didn't really dive into that when I brought him up. So I kind of want to hear like like the Keon Johnson, like why he isn't a a lottery pick like he's sometimes mocked to be. Uh because what does he do on offense? I guess is the sim- most simplistic way to frame this question. What can you say that Keon Johnson is going to bring to you offensively outside of transition and cutting? There's there's nothing at this point um, that you can definitively say, you know, he's going to bring this to my offense. Um, and that that's a concern for me. If you are a, a guard or slash wing and you can't put any shooting or, or creation ability or ball handling to your name, that's a bit of a concern for me. Um, and I don't think Keon Johnson has really shown that up to this point. You're, you're sort of betting on it if you're taking him first round. And I think both you, you and me seem to feel comfortable taking that bet um, because of the other aspects he affects the game as far as defense and um, just insane athleticism. Um, that you're willing to take that bet, but offensively, outside of transition and cutting, like there's there's a lot of concerns there. Um, and then the other thing is defensively. I think it's you know it's not that I'm concerned about his defense because I think he will overall be a positive defender. It's just that I think it can get overrated because um, I don't think he's as versatile as people think. If he's like six three or whatever is he really going to be able to slide down to threes and fours and, and cover these stronger guys and taller guys that could shoot over him? I have concerns about that because um, again, not that he won't be able to at least hold his own, but um, he's not going to be the defender he is on, on opposing guards that he is going to be on uh, opposing forwards and wings. So I think that can get a bit overlooked. Same with Davion Mitchell. It would be the case for me in terms of his defense. Like they can both be, they both have outcomes and, and reasonably can achieve those outcomes as like premier elite perimeter defenders on opposing guards, but against bigger guys, like I think that it can get a bit overrated. Yeah. I think we're on the same page. Um, Keon Johnson to me is a lot like Jonathan Kaminga, but Jonathan Kaminga is like a full on wing and Keon isn't. So it kind of shows like the difference I think that can make. Um, so, so we're like caught up now in terms of even though you're one tier ahead of me and that we've fully ranked through our first round. Um, so if, if you're good, I'm good to start moving on to sort of our second round guys. This is where I, I think our boards will start to differ even more because the second round is always sort of a crapshoot and, and it's sort of like what skills stand out that you want to bet on and uh, what skills don't you want to bet on. So if you're good, I'm good, Stone. Sweet. Um, Stone gave the thumbs up uh, for anyone not watching and no one watches because I don't post this on YouTube. Um, so starting my tier six uh, at 34 is the great friends Blyenberg. 35 is Herb Jones. 36 is Jeremiah Robinson Earl. 37 is Quentin Grimes. 38 is Austin Reeves. 39 is Isaiah Todd. 40 is Alperin Shingun. 41 is EJ Onu. 42 is Chris Smith. 43 is Aaron Henry. 44 is BJ Boston, 45 is Isaiah Livers, 46, Joe Wieskamp, 47, Rokis Yokobaitis, uh, 48, Sam Hauser, 49, Cedro Mamukelishvili, and 50, Joel AI. 
I think I, I think this is not going to be quite as dramatic as we might have initially thought because I think we still have similar ranges for these guys. It's just that there's so many second round guys that numerically it could be more dramatic than it actually is. Um, that said, I, I guess I'll start with Herb Jones. Give me sell me on Herb Jones as a top thirty five guy because a guy who can't shoot at all for me like there's a concern that he's like an Andre Robertson for me and that has its own value but if he doesn't get to Andre Robertson's defensive level and he can but if he doesn't and he can't shoot then it's a big concern for me so sell me on Herb Jones well I would say to me Herb Jones might be the third best defender in this class behind Evan Mobley and Usman Garuba um and defense is sort of nebulous, right? It's like saying someone is the second best offensive player. Well, what does that mean? But Herb Jones does it all defensively. He's 6'9". He's really good on the ball. He moves really well. He's athletic. He makes good help plays at the rim, at the nail. He does a lot of – he does everything well on defense. It's just sort of about figuring out what he is offensively. Um, can he hit corner spot-ups? I don't know. Maybe maybe not. Uh, I don't know if I'd even bet on that, but – in. Once I'm out of the first round, if there's someone who like has clear additive skills, if you can just get the rest of their game to a baseline level, I really, really, I want to bet on that player. Herb Jones could be like, like an all defense caliber defender. If you can just find a way for him to exist offensively and he's six, nine and athletic. So like, that's a little easier than like, like say like, uh, like, you know, Davion Mitchell, if like he doesn't shoot. Like it's a lot harder to find a way to have him like exist offensively because he's only six foot tall. Um, Herb Jones, like maybe he's a good passer. He's a smart passer. He has some ball skills. You got to try and develop him as a shooter. You just have to. But in the regular season, even if you can't, there might be lineups you could throw out there where you can just take advantage of him being such an elite defender. Maybe it's even as a small ball five in like a, uh, oh, I'm blanking on his name, uh, place for the Pacers. He's only like six five. Um, Oh man, he was a he was like a G League guy forever. Um, Jakar Sampson. Uh, um, I was like, about to say Brissett, but yeah, oh, he's yeah. not six five. <laughs> Brissett's a better shooter, but honestly, like Brissett wasn't a great shooter in college, better than Herb Jones. But like, maybe he can develop as a shooter, and if you can develop Herb Jones as a shooter, he's like almost a starting caliber player. If he like, it's like thirty two percent from corner threes. Like that's how good he is defensively. That's how good I think he could be as a ball mover. When when your whole evaluation, like or not evaluation, when your whole like like projection in the NBA rests on one skill, and I think it's a skill that is sometimes teachable. I'll, I'll bet on you in this range as like you know probably like thirty, you know thirty four, I suppose, to like forty. Like I would take Herb Jones if you think you can get him to be like an okay shooter on absolutely wide open spot ups. Cause that's a valuable at the very least regular season player. And then maybe some minutes in the playoffs. If he's, if he's really the level of defender, I think he could be. So that's my Herb Jones take. Fair enough. Um, so I'll, I'll hit on these last two guys. You can hit on them quickly. Cause I uh, don't want to go on forever on this podcast, but um, what is preventing you from having Yoko Betis higher than you do at 47? <clears throat> excuse me and then what has you so high at chris smith at 42 because i think this is actually the highest ranking i've seen of chris smith this year so chris smith is someone who i had as like a first on talent last year um he's just 
he is like baseline good at everything. It's just he happened to tear his ACL this year. Um, he's a solid shooter. He's a smart passer. He has ball skills. He's 6'9". He tries on defense. He's athletic. Like, there's a lot to like about Chris Smith. It just, he was sort of going on his way, and then he tore his ACL, and he fell off everyone's radar. And then he still ended up declaring. I honestly think he's only here because he got pushed out of UCLA a little bit with Juzang and Huckes Jr. returning and Peyton Watson coming in. I'm guessing he got told maybe there wasn't a spot for him. Uh, and it's too bad because I think he would have been drafted had he not tore his ACL. Um, and ACL is a generally recoverable injury in the modern world. So that's where my bet with Chris Smith is coming. It's that he will recover. He will get back to that level of value that I had him at. And in that case, he, he plays the most valuable position in, in basketball. And he does everything at like a baseline okay level. Like I'll bet on that player in, in this range every day. Um, and then with Yoka Betis, it's just, he, he's, he's not like a great, guy at anything and, and with guards that's tough for me he, he's a pretty rough defender right now he's improved um I'll admit that like he has like a solidly high quote-unquote ceiling if things really work out for him and I think he could be an NBA player it's just a matter of like like I don't know exactly where to take that he could end up like and with certain teams I would take him above Sengun or Onu or even Smith like, like I honestly could put him right behind Austin Reeves and that might even be a more accurate ranking. Maybe I should do that. Um, but like in terms of the number value, we're getting to a point where that doesn't necessarily matter very much to me. It's just about like, these are where these guys are um, with Yoka Betis. It's just, he, he's a good shooter, a good passer can run a good pick and roll, but he's a bad defender and he's not like elite as a shooter or a passer or a scorer yet. And with guards, it's like, I don't want to bet on them too highly if they're not really good at any of those things, but I'll admit that he's closer to being in the first round than maybe like 47 as a pure numerical ranking would suggest. So that's, that's how I'm feeling with Yoko Betis. That's, that's entirely fair. Um, as long as you admit he should be higher. All <laughs> right. So moving on, I'm just kidding. Uh, so, so moving on, um, I, I'll get into my, my sixth tier, which is, um, second round guys uh guys i think are worthy of taking a second round um into a degree this is still solidified in terms of numerical ranking out after this tier for me it becomes like a free-for-all like it's just um the, the numerical ranking is like minor but it, the tier is pretty fluid um <clears throat> so with my my sixth tier uh i have at 38 aaron henry at 39 isaiah livers at 40, Matt Mitchell. At 41, Joe Wieskamp. At 42, Delano Banton. At 43, Isaiah Todd. At 44, Brandon Boston Jr. At 45, Alperin Sangoon. At 46, Andrew Mamakilashvili. At 47, Eve Pons. At 48, EJ Onu. At 49, uh, Juhan Begren. At 50, Derek Olson Jr. At 51, Quentin Grimes. At 52, Austin Reeves. 53, Sam Hauser. 54, Joel Ayayi, 55, Raekwon Gray, <clears throat> 56, Charles Bassey, 57, Greg Brown, 58, Moses Wright, 59, Dayron Sharp, 60, Herb Jones, 61, David Johnson, 62, Justin Champagne, and 63, John Petty Jr. All right, 
so first i want to say this will probably be this should probably be the last tier we we like really break down like this i uh i don't think we yeah, need to go rest, deep into our undrafted the rest guys is just too big guys. yeah if you really want i'm going to be putting out a piece it's going to be it's, it's going to end up being like probably like 15 almost like fifteen thousand words like it's going to be crazy long um that you guys can go read where i'm going to break down at least a little bit on everyone in my top 178 so like if you want that you can find that we don't need to do that here if you're real uh, sick of <laughs> like me if you are an absurd completionist um but there are a couple names i want to hit on um i i want to like why so low on david johnson i i know he's someone who we've disagreed on but i didn't give give him as like i have him as a first rounder i didn't really give that take so i want to hear your why he's a back end of the second round guy, and then maybe I'll I'll push back some rebuttals. Yeah, um, this is this might be one of our biggest uh, outside of Dayron or uh, Io Desumu. This might be our, our biggest disagreement here. Um, I think for me, I just I don't buy like his creation ability. I think he's he's a really good passer, but I think he's more of a connector than he is a creator. Um, he's somebody that I think somebody else needs to make the, the initiating do the, has to do the initiating in order for him to be effective. Um, and I think that might be where some disagreement comes between me and a lot of people that have, uh, David Johnson quite a bit higher, um, defensively, I think he's, he's an okay defender. I don't really buy him as like a really good defender. Um, I think he, there's guards that can blow by him and there's stronger guys that can overpower him so i feel like in that sense he's sort of a tweener uh, again I, I might get some pushback on that but that's sort of where i am with him um so those are probably the biggest reasons and again i think it comes down a lot to the creation ability um i think that might be where i value creation so much and maybe maybe you don't necessarily as much and maybe you see him more as a creator than I do. So that's probably the biggest disconnect there. Yeah. I find it interesting how we've basically, we basically flipped like David Johnson and Iota Sunu on our boards. Um, and it'll be interesting to see which, if any of, if either of them really become successful NBA players. Um, I think like I see Io and, and David Johnson is very similar players where I don't really buy either of them as creators. Um, I think they're both, have a shot to be solid defenders i see them both more as wings than guards maybe i just i think david johnson is just the better decision maker and i actually buy him as a shooter more long term so like i think it really is as simple as that like i actually do see him more as a connector like you not necessarily like an advantage creating guard it's just i i think he'll be a better connector than iota sunmu so i i think it might be as simple as that and it's just it happens to be that the numbers are this different, but our evaluations, I think, are actually somewhat similar. Um, so with that being said, I, I also wanted to ask you about, um, you have Justin Champagne and Moses Wright, both here as draftable guys. Those are guys who I view as uh, not, I don't have either of them draftable. I also don't have like Charles Bass draftable, but that might just be like, a difference we don't really need to dive into but i do want to hear like what you think with like moses Wright and justin champagne just like the general idea of like these small ball centers their main skill is rebounding like what is it about those guys that make you see them as as draftable um i think both i think both uh, are more so moses Wright have value 
as rim protectors as small ball guys. And I think that's what you really need to be successful in that role. If you're playing a small ball five role, um, we've talked about ad nauseum, like with Eve Pons. And I think that's probably why we both value him higher is because in that small ball five role, he can be a rim protector and we feel confident about it. Um, so I think that's why we're, we're both solidified him, you know, as a draftable guy. And I think uh, with, with Moses, right. I, for a lot of the same reason, I think I, I buy him maybe to a lesser degree, but I still buy him as a rim protector. Um, and with Justin Champagne, I think it comes down to giving you a bit more lineup flexibility. I think he's good enough to not hurt you when he's on the court and being able to do that well, you can play him at three different positions, can can be a, give you a lot of lineup flexibility there. Um, I buy both of them as being adequate shooters, not necessarily guys who, um, you know, you're going to look to to uh, put up a whole lot of shots or, or in volume, but I think both can um, be adequate spot up guys. So if you can spot up and protect the rim as small ball fives, I think that's really all you're looking for out of that sort of role. And I think both of them can provide that. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think, I think for me, it just comes down to a general philosophy that I'd rather take bets on some interesting like wings and guards um, than, than bigs. But I, I think that's fair. Um, yeah, there's not really a lot else I want to hit on. Maybe just like, like Austin Reeves is someone who I think partially because Sean Darenthal, uh, owed to Odin, put out a, a Stepien podcast on him. But I feel like he's risen a little bit recently you have him at 52 i have him a little higher than you but but i think we sort of view him similarly uh do you have any like specific austin reeves takes or, or is he just sort of a guard that you're like he's worth a pick yeah i mean that's pretty much where i'm at with him i think he's a guard with a pick and the reason he's worth the pick is because he's a good shooter and he can create more so than i think a lot of these other sort of guards in this people only have in this range can um it's still kind of like a chaotic sort of player offensively i think he needs to refine his game a bit um but there's so much there to work with that he's worth the pick for me in the second round um i, I guess the other guy what we'll bring up here um uh maybe you were saving it for years actually so it would be io just because of how big of a disagreement we have um i, I guess we'll just hit on it here since i already brought it up but i think with Io, it comes down to, I think he's a really, really good point of attack defender. I think he's somebody that can seal off the point of attack very well. Um, I see him as being able to play either guard position. Um, I think he's a better ball handler than David Johnson. Um, and I think he's more of a transition threat, somebody who can, he's a rebound and run type threat where he can get the board and he's actually a pretty good rebounder. You can get a board and run across the court and, and you know, take that up and transition. Uh, he's probably faster than David Johnson, too. So for those reasons, I think, is what separates me from uh, having him so much higher than David Johnson. Yeah, I think that's fine. I think we actually agree on both of their evaluations. It's just we, we value what each of those players can potentially bring more. And honestly, like, like, I, I don't know. Io could very much end up being the better player, especially if he goes way higher because it's just guys like that get more chances. And that's what's always like, like I will always say, it is absolutely fraught with peril, like to look back at someone's board and make fun of them for where they rank players because fit does matter. And the number of chances players get matter. Like, like 
so so I want to say that before we uh, before we move on. Um, but yeah, I, you know, you just gave so you have uh, 63 total draftable players, uh, 37 you would have in the first round. That you know that's a solid number. Like, and, and I'll do mine. I have 65 draftable players, 33 in the first round. I had like 25 or 24 players last year that I had first round grades on, and I think like 56 or something like that draftable. So. This is a solidly deep draft, and I think there's especially some names here at the end uh, that, that I'm really excited to talk about. So so if you're good, uh, I, I'm cool to move on uh, to my the last part of my board. All right. Um, so after, yep. So at 51, uh, Derek Alston Jr. At 52, Eve Pons. 53, Ray- Raekwon Gray. 54, Delano Banton. Uh, at 55, Dejan Giroux. 56, Romeo Weems. At 57, Chandler Vaudrin. At 58, Marcus Zagorowski. At 59, Greg Brown III. At 60, Junmu. At 61, Jason Preston. At 62, Nemius Keita. At 63, Santi Aldama. At 64, Jordan Shackle. And 65, Ariel Hakporti. Yeah. Um, so I'll start by saying many of the names you have in here. I have as as guys I'd priority not prioritize but I'd look at as undrafted free agents and giving two-way contracts to. Um so just because I didn't hit all them as draftable guys, there's still some some guys in here I would look at um as giving uh an NBA roster position. Um that being said, uh real quick note too, I think RL Hakporty uh withdrew a couple oh, of days yeah. ago. Oh yeah, you're right. <clears throat> oh I completely forgot that. Um, Otherwise, I actually I would have him as a draftable guy too. Um, can't believe but, I overlooked that. That's silly. But yeah, because <laughs> no, like a billion people. Yeah, it, it's hard to keep up. There's so many. Um, so I'll, I'll start with Chandler Valdron. I know he's somebody who's risen up your board quite a bit recently. Sell me on him. I I have him as another guy again. I would look at as an undrafted free agent. But sell me on why he's draftable to you. So what I like about Vaudrin is that uh, he's a wing and he passes. Um, and it's sort of as simple as that. Like when I'm, I'm at this point in my board, it's just who are guys that I think fill positional needs and, and do something interesting that you can work with. Or, I mean, yeah, that's about it. It's like, or like they're just so good at a potential role, like an Epons or Nemius Cato that I feel like they should, they should have a shot to get drafted. Um, with, with Chandler Vaudrin, he plays the most important position in basketball. I've said that a million times. I'll keep saying it. He's six, seven, and he's strong. Um, he's a really, really good passer, a really consistent passer. Reminds me a lot of like Tomas Sedaransky as a passer, where it's like, he's not doing anything flashy, but he makes the right read and pick and roll. He, he moves the ball well. Um, and he's also a pretty solid shooter. Uh, he, he has good touch as on like floaters around the rim. He's not an elite athlete. That's his biggest drawback. But uh, I, I just think at like 57, there's just I, I like betting on a player like that. He just he makes the right decision most times. He has upside as like a sixth man on ball creator. And you could never have too many guys who are comfortable with the ball in their hands. Right. Like you can't have too many guys who need the ball in their hands, but you can't have too many guys who are comfortable. Like think of like the jazz this year. Like what made them work is they kicked it out to Joe Ingles or. Mike Conley, like both those guys could then drive or run a second side pick and roll. Like if Chandler Rodgers can shoot at a, at an adequate level, I think he can, he can make it in the NBA. So I, I, that's sort of my, my bet here with Rodgers. 
Yeah, that's uh, entirely fair. The the other guy, the other thing I would bring up, not necessarily a guy, is what you didn't bring up Dayron Sharp. I don't think, right? You don't have him as a draftable guy, no. or did you? I have him. No. Under. Okay. So, so what in your mind separates um, Nemius Keta from from Dayron Sharp as like a tier separation? Uh, I think Keta is like a little bigger and and i buy his athleticism more i don't think dayron's an elite athlete at the center spot and when you're not an elite athlete and you're not a you like he has really bad touch i don't buy him as a shooter ever and i really worry about his finishing i don't like to worry about bigs finishing um it's just tough for me like like i think kato will be a better lob threat i like dayron sharp biggest skill is passing and i don't know like how translatable that passing is. Um, I think they're similar rebounders. I just think Cato will be the better defender. Um, so to me, it comes down to that. And I actually, like, I don't even have, I have Daron Sharp as the third, like, like of my priority UDFA bigs behind Jay Hoff and Jericho Sims. Like, I, I'm very low on Daron Sharp. And maybe he's one of those guys that he's just so smart that he proves me wrong. But I just, I, I just really don't see it with Sharp. Um, and Kate, I can at least see like big body rim runner makes some smart passes, uh, has to develop a little bit his feel as a rim protector. But I, I like Kata a little bit more. The 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 other name I'll throw out just as kind of like a, a comparison to is Charles Bassey. Like what uh, separates those two for you? I don't. I feel like Bassey's like a like low key like a really bad athlete. Like I, he doesn't get off the ground very quickly. He's, he's pretty stiff laterally. If he shoots, he might be something. But again, like I, what I'm betting on here is that I think Kata has a much higher likelihood to be like a starting center. Because in my opinion, like, like Bassey could very well find his way into a rotation. I don't care about rotational bigs. Like I just, I straight up don't. Like I would not draft. I would rather draft like 15 Josh Jacksons who just fail out of the league or I guess he's doing fine now. There's better examples I can't think of off the top of my head, but I'd rather draft 15 wings that fail out of the league than draft one like Gordy J. Like, it's just, you can find guys like that for really cheap in free agency. Um, you can't find like a Daniel House really cheap in free agency. Like when they found him off a of two-way, like that was a legitimate value add. And I'd rather go for guys like that. The reason Kata makes his way into this tier is because I think he could actually be like a really good rim runner if a lot of things hit right for him. This is about where I would have had like Jonko Baji too, where I think like if things really, really went his way, Ibu Baji could have been like a really, really good rim protector. I think Kata has a lot more chance to unlock that than like a Jericho Sims or a Charles Bassey or uh, a Dayron Sharp. So that's, that's sort of where I'm coming at with, with having Kata above those guys. Yeah, um, that's pretty fair. I think I would disagree in the sense that I, I guess I just value shooting from a big more than I value like athleticism. Um, like if your center or backup center or whatever can give you um, some space the floor a little bit more, I would rather take that, I guess, than just somebody who's like a really strong or, or elite athlete. Um, but, you know, that's just, I guess, difference in, in value of, of guys. Um, but that being said, I think that's pretty much it for us. Um, this was a lot of fun. This was a great draft cycle. I think we both enjoyed, uh, along with Davis, too, our, our time doing this. Um, you know, there's 
probably going to be more to come uh, post-draft and obviously throughout the draft, we'll keep you posted again on at Upside Swings on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me at report underscore court. I'll, I'll probably post it there as well. Um, but yeah, this has been a, a blast. Um, thanks for, for doing this with me. I know I threw it out there on Twitter and you're the first person to reach out. Um, and I think uh, just sort of off of that, we've built something that we're both pretty proud of here. So uh, thanks for, for being my uh, co-host on all these podcasts. And uh, thanks to everybody who's listened and supported us throughout. It's been yeah, uh, it's it's been a great experience. I can't think stone enough for, for giving me the opportunity to do this. You know, uh, we don't do this for money or, or for anything like that. We're just we're just here because we love it. We love talking about this stuff. Um, yeah, uh, we, we thank you guys seriously so much for listening. Um, this has been our first draft cycle as a podcast. Hopefully we have a couple more to come. Uh, we'll see how long it takes for stone to get hired by an NBA team. It might not be long. We never know. Um, but seriously thank you guys so much for listening uh thanks again to stone to davis we had 30 wonderful guests on throughout uh our our time uh doing all the team previews um this has been a great draft cycle uh i've loved every second of it um thanks again to stone thank you all for listening uh, i'm at bryce hendrick 14 you can find my all my work on roll call sports uh follow us again at upside swings um any any rates ratings or reviews on whatever wherever you listen to your podcast would really go a long way helping us grow we're trying to you know stay consistent and, and continue growing for next draft cycle which i think will be a fun one we'll get a full draft cycle there um and also leave us any ideas like for some off-season content you want you know we have some guests planned but the off-season for draft stuff is sort of a well of nothingness it's where a lot of draft pods kind of go to die i feel like so if, if you know if there's anything you're really interested in like just let us know we'll, we'll definitely get to it we'll we'll work on uh trying try to keep this thing consistent um we are gonna take a month break in in september as my school is sort of getting going and we're sort of uh at the biggest dead point in draft in draft work but you know we, we plan on having a lot of guests and, and and hitting on a lot of fun topics and we're, we're already excited for next draft cycle. So thank you all for the support through this one. Uh, we hope we hit our ceiling throughout this whole, this whole draft cycle, and we hope we continue to do so as we go on. Uh, we hope we hit our ceiling. Thank you so much.